This episode is brought to you by Horror Quickies. If you like horror anthology books, this is for you. Over 80 tales of terror told in a true story style that will curdle your blood and send shivers down your spine. Horror Quickies, the complete series, is only $2.99 on Amazon or free if you have Kindle Unlimited. Go to Amazon.com and search for Horror Quickies or just go to ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash books. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. (laughs) I am your host, just your friendly neighborhood Maniac on the Loose. Sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy the ride. House Sitting The House Sitter For reference, I'm a 16-year-old female A friend of my family asked if I would house-sit for them while they went on vacation for a week. They mostly wanted me to check on their cat and make sure his food and water were full. They also wanted me to turn different lights on and off to give the appearance that someone was home. I was totally game, mainly because they have Netflix and my family doesn't, so I planned on hanging out there a lot. It was a really cool two-story house located in the historic district of a delightful little town. It was just down the block from Town Square. I have a brother and sister who are both a few years younger than me. They can be annoying sometimes, so I was kind of excited to have an entire house to myself. It would be nice to vegetate in front of the TV in peace. I wanted to go to the house straight from school, but my parents made me come home so I could have dinner first. When I finally got to the house, it was just starting to get dark outside. I was told that the key would be under a plant near the front door. I bent down and got the key. As I stood up and got ready to unlock the door, I had the strangest feeling that somebody was watching me. I turned around and saw a man directly across the street. He was just standing there staring at me. He was wearing black pants and a dark gray hoodie. He had the hood up so I couldn't see his face. He gave me the creeps so I quickly unlocked the door and got into the house. I locked the door and attached the security chain. I was greeted by a loud meow. I turned to see the fuzzy cat. He stared at me for a few seconds and then darted away into the other room. The people said the cat was shy and that he would likely stay hidden while I was there. I filled up his food and water and settled myself in their cozy living room. 
I was just about to turn on the TV when I heard a loud creak coming from one of the rooms upstairs. It sounded like a footstep. Normally, I may have been a bit alarmed, but I brushed it off, assuming it was the cat, and began watching TV. I started watching a show, but I had to take a quick break to use the bathroom. While I was sitting on the toilet, I heard another loud creak. But this time it wasn't coming from upstairs. It was coming from outside the bathroom door. This time it wasn't just one creak. It was several. It sounded like somebody was outside in the hallway. I sat there for a long time and listened, but didn't hear anything else. I finished up in the bathroom and cautiously stepped out into the hall. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary, but I thought I'd be on the safe side and double-checked to make sure the front door was still locked. Just as I reached the front door, my cell phone began to ring. But it sounded distant. It didn't sound like it was in the living room, it sounded like it was coming from upstairs. But I hadn't been upstairs. I took a few steps toward the staircase and then stopped when I heard a loud bang on the front door. As I startled and spun around, there was another knock. I kept the security chain fastened as I unlocked the door and opened it just a crack. Standing on the front porch was the scary guy in the hoodie. I was going to ask him what he wanted, but he spoke first. Are you home alone? Before I could even answer, he asked again. Are you here all alone? I didn't want to admit to him that I was alone, so I just blurted out that my family was here with me. His hoodie was up, so his face was still darkened, but I could make him out well enough to see a glint in his eyes that told me that he did not believe a word I was saying. He spoke again. Come out here. I was getting creeped out, so I tried to shut the door, but he blocked the door with his sneaker. I screamed and turned to run, but he reached inside and grabbed me by the shirt. As I tried to free myself from his grip, I could hear him pounding on the door with his shoulder. I heard the wood snap as the security chain gave way, and suddenly he had both of his arms around me. I kept screaming as he pulled me out of the house and into the front yard. House Sitting the man across the street. I'm a jogger. I love jogging through the historic district of my town. There are several blocks of extravagant historic homes, some dating all the way back to the early 1800s. Sometimes, when there are no cars passing by, I feel like I've been transported back in time. Dusk is my favorite time for jogging, and I jog through here almost every evening. One of my favorite houses on the block isn't one of the oldest or fanciest. It's a two-story home with a warm feel. It's painted an unusual shade of dark blue with maroon trim. I always tend to stare at it as I jog by. Tonight, as I jog by this house, something caught my eye that caused me to stop and stare. All of the lights were off in the house except for one of the upstairs rooms. The room had a curtain, but it must have been some kind of chiffon fabric because I could see through it. I saw a naked man standing near the window. Normally I would have just thought, hey, 
Bad luck for this guy to be walking naked by his window as someone is passing by. But the unusual thing was that the man was wearing a rubber clown mask. He appeared to be wearing blue gloves. Latex gloves, maybe? And he was holding a knife. He wasn't just standing in front of the window gawking out. He was passing by the window every few seconds. It was like he was pacing back and forth. That's when I noticed the young girl walking up to the house. I watched as she bent down and removed something from under a plant. Probably a key, which meant she was likely house-sitting. She looked over in my direction and then hurried into the house. I probably spooked her. I looked back up at the second floor window. The clown man stopped in his tracks once the door shut. He stood frozen like he was listening for a long time. He then walked away from the window, but he moved very carefully, like he was trying to be quiet. I started putting things together in my mind. Why would this young girl be house-sitting if someone else was home? And the clown man was acting in a stealthy manner, like he didn't want the girl to know he was there. The clown man was away from the window for several minutes and then returned. I could then see him start making stabbing motions with the knife like he was warming up. This was all strange enough for me to call the police, but I didn't want to wait around for them to get there, so I walked up to the house and knocked on the door. The house sitter sheepishly opened the door and looked at me suspiciously. I immediately asked her if she was home alone. She was hesitant, but said that her family was there with her. I could tell by the nervous tone of her voice and the jittery way she was acting that she was lying. She was afraid of me and unaware that there was some psycho upstairs waiting for her. I tried to urge her to come out of the house, but she attempted to shut the door. I instinctively stuck my shoe in the door to keep it from shutting. My fear was that I may have inadvertently scared her to the point where she might run upstairs to hide. Upstairs where the clown man is waiting for her. I reached into the door opening and grabbed her shirt, keeping her from fleeing, but I was losing my grip and was worried that if she got away from me, the crazy man upstairs might kill her. I began pounding at the door with my shoulder and finally the security chain gave way. I wrapped my arms around the girl and pulled her into the front yard away from the house, away from the clown man. By the time the police arrived, I had already managed to calm down the girl enough to where she would listen to me and began to realize that I was just trying to help. As I suspected, she had no idea anybody else was in the house. I explained to the police what happened, and they searched the entire house. They didn't find the clown man. All they found was a knife in the room upstairs, lying next to the house sitter's cell phone. House-sitting, clown man, Tina, that was the name of the young girl I was targeting. I like young meat. I had been stalking her for a week. She had no idea. I'm good at this. The problem with Tina was that she lived with her family and there was always somebody home with her. When she was away from home, she was constantly with friends. I needed to get her alone. 
This was proving to be difficult, and I was about to give up and move on to another girl, when I overheard Tina telling one of her friends that she was going to be house-sitting. She even told her friend that it was the house on the corner of 4th Avenue and Maple. Her friend asked her if it was the dark blue house with maroon trim. Tina confirmed this. Perfect. I got to the house early. Fortunately, there was no security system, and I was able to break in easily. I noticed a fuzzy cat meandering about. When the cat noticed me, it meowed and then ran off. He was clearly shy and wouldn't give me away. I removed a sturdy chef's knife from a kitchen drawer and found a room upstairs that I liked. It was here that I'd do the deed. I stripped off my clothes and sealed them in a garbage bag. I always work in the nude, and I always wear latex gloves. No need to make things easy on the authorities. Lastly, I put on my mask. If something goes wrong and my target escapes, they can't describe what I look like. I wear a variety of masks. On this day, I'll be the clown man. It was dusk before Tina finally arrived. I was pacing impatiently when I heard the front door open. Finally. I waited a while. I assumed she would explore the house and come upstairs on her own. That's when I'd take her. But then I heard her turn the TV on. She was watching TV. Perhaps she wouldn't come upstairs at all. I opted to kill her downstairs instead. As I made my way down the stairs, I stopped when I saw Tina walking down the hall and going into the bathroom. Fortunately, she didn't see me. I stood outside the bathroom door for a minute. I could kick the door down or wait for her to open the door. Either way, this was going to be easy. Too easy. It would be more fun if I could lure her upstairs. I walked to the living room and saw her cell phone lying on the table. I picked it up and took it back upstairs with me. I looked in her settings and found her phone number. I then used the landline phone and called it. Surely she would come upstairs to look for her phone. That's when I heard someone knocking on the door. How disappointing. I slinked my way partially down the stairs to see what was happening. I could hear Tina talking to someone, but couldn't make out what they were saying. I was shocked to see a man bust down the door and pull Tina outside. I don't know who the hell this guy is, but I guess he beat me to it. I grabbed my garbage bag full of clothes, dropped the knife next to Tina's cell phone, and snuck out the back. Oh well. There are plenty of other girls out there. I'll just move on to the next one. Movie Theater Horror Stories 
the woman in red. I'm a male. This happened back in the 1980s. This was at a time when movie theaters still had ushers. I was 18. I worked as an usher in a four-screen movie theater. Being an usher was a lot of fun and the duties were fairly simple. Between movies, we'd sweep up the lobby and tidy up the bathrooms. During the movies, we would do aisle checks to make sure no one had their feet up on the seats and that no one was talking too loudly. In between showings of the movies, we'd do a quick cleanup of the theater before we let the next crowd in. Sometimes we got to kick people out who were trying to sneak in or were being unruly. Most of the employees were high school kids who preferred to work on the weekends. I didn't mind working during the week, so on weekdays, I was the closing usher. Fifteen minutes after the final movies of the night started playing, the ticket office would close and the workers would go home. The concession workers would clean up and then leave. The only two employees left in the theater were the closing manager and the closing usher. We both had to stay until the movies were over and everyone was out of the building. We usually got out of there between midnight and one o'clock. During the final showings, the manager would stay in the office and do end-of-the-night paperwork. Sometimes I would help the concession workers clean up, but once they left, I would mostly just watch movies. After all of the movies were over and I checked the theaters, I would check the bathrooms to make sure no one was still in there. Once I confirmed that everyone was out of the building, the manager and I would leave. There was only one movie still playing, and it would be ending soon, so I started doing my final checks of theaters and bathrooms for the night. I stepped up to the women's bathroom and could hear the faucet of the sink running. It sounded like someone was washing their hands. I waited outside several minutes, but the water was still running. I knocked on the door and called out, Bathroom check! But nobody answered, so I entered the bathroom. Sure enough, someone had left the sink running, and it was the hot water that they left on, so it had steamed up the mirror. I walked to the sink and turned off the water. That's when I saw two small words smudged across the steamy mirror. Turn. Back. I didn't think much of it and checked all the stalls. Nobody was in the bathroom, so I exited the bathroom and made my way toward the only theater that still had a movie playing. Being that this was a weeknight, there were only a few people in the theater. When I saw them all exiting the theater at once, I knew the movie was over. I stepped into the theater and waited for the credits to end. Once they ended, the house lights came up. That's when I saw her. There was a woman in a tattered red dress standing in the very front of the theater. She had thin, stringy, light blonde hair. It looked wet. She was standing with her back to me and was staring up at the blank screen. I waited several seconds for her to leave, but she wasn't moving, so I called out. Are you okay? She slowly turned her head back and looked at me over her shoulder. She was extremely pale and had abnormally dark circles around her eyes. After a moment, she slowly walked out of the back exit that was behind the movie screen. I could hear the heavy metal exit door open and close. I went down to the door she exited through, opened it, and poked my head out into the back alley behind the theater. I looked both ways, but didn't see her. 
I shut the door and made sure it locked shut and exited the theater. The manager was waiting for me in the lobby. I told him about the creepy lady as we walked out into the parking lot. As we said our goodbyes and I walked toward my car, I peered out over the big empty parking lot and stopped abruptly. The woman in red was standing at the far end of the parking lot. She had her back to me as she did in the theater. She slowly turned her head and looked over her shoulder at me. I turned to my manager. I pointed at the woman in red and hollered out that she was there. I could see his face appear confused as he looked in that direction and then asked me what I was talking about. The woman in red, she's right over... My words trailed off as I turned my head. She was gone. I kind of shrugged this all off. Yes, the woman in red was strange and definitely brought the fright factor, but maybe she lived nearby and was just walking home. I started for home but was running low on gas, so I stopped at a gas station just down the road. As I started pumping gas, I looked up and let out an audible gasp. At the far end of the gas station building stood the woman in red. She had her back to me again, but turned back to look at me before slowly stepping out of sight behind the building. I knew the person who worked at the gas station, so I went inside and told him that I thought there was a strange woman following me and that she was behind the building. We both went around the back of the building to look for her, but she wasn't there. I stepped to the spot where I saw her at. There was a small patch of dirt next to where she was standing, and I noticed that it looked like someone had written something in the dirt. I bent down to get a closer look. Scribbled in the dirt were the words, Turn. Back. We scanned the area a little longer and didn't see her. I had enough of all this. I wanted to get away from this area and that strange woman in red, so I headed for home. I lived about 30 minutes from the movie theater and the majority of my drive was a long, sparsely traveled two-lane highway. As I drove along, I was in the mood for a little music. In particular, I wanted to listen to some Wang Chung. I kept my cassette tapes in a holder between the seats. I picked out their album Mosaic and slid it into my car's cassette player. As I looked up, my eyes widened and I slammed on the brakes. The woman in red was standing in the middle of the road. Her back was to me. The last thing I saw before I skidded to a halt on the shoulder of the road was her dark eyes as she turned her head back and looked at me. I pulled a flashlight from my glove compartment, got out of my car, and looked for the mysterious woman, but there was no sign of her. As I continued to search for her, the ground shook and I was startled by a massive explosion. A gigantic mushroom cloud of fire filled the sky a mile or so up the road. I got in my car and drove as fast as I could toward the blaze of fire to see if anyone needed help. I got as close as I could before it got too hot to drive any closer. Up ahead, I could see that a gasoline truck had an accident and exploded. There was no way the driver of the truck survived. The flames were engulfing everything, so much so that I couldn't tell if any other vehicles were involved. I knew I had to turn back and get help. Turn back? 
All at once, the pieces started falling into place. The woman in red was signaling for me to turn back. From the way she turned back to look at me, to the message on the steamy mirror and in the dirt. If the woman in red had not caused my slight delay, I would have been further up the road and likely been hit by that gas truck. I'd be dead right now. I don't know who the woman in red was, and I haven't seen her again since then, but it's obvious to me that she saved my life that night. So to the woman in red, whoever you are, thank you. On September 9th, 1999, an open house took place for a property that had been vacant for over 50 years. It was an East Lake Victorian-style house that was built in 1899. The original owner hung himself in the basement. Every owner of the house thereafter encountered a tragic event. Legend tells of the house being haunted and cursed. The house had recently undergone three years of renovations. Multiple people had died during those renovations. Town folk warned that they should not proceed with attempting to sell the house. The real estate agency did not heed those warnings. The following are stories from those who attended the open house. Harriet and George Loomis, 9 o'clock a.m. My husband and I were the first ones there that day. We were met by the realtor. Her name was Jean. She appeared to be in her late 30s. She had chestnut brown hair that was tied back in a bun. She was quite pretty with bright blue eyes and a sparkling smile. Since we were the only ones there at the moment, we asked if she would show us around. She was happy to do so and was quite helpful. The tour ended in the basement. It was a full basement with dark stone walls and very little natural light. In the center of the main basement wall was a closet door. The door was constructed of extremely weathered wood, and there was a bolt on the door. The realtor mentioned that she had never noticed the door before, and proceeded to open it. When the door opened, it made a loud whoosh that reminded me of the sound one might hear when opening a vacuum-sealed container. Jean reeled back and doubled over. We rushed to her side to see if she was okay. She was breathing heavily and had broken out in a sweat. We helped her up the basement stairs to the main floor of the house. She started coughing and appeared ill, but assured us she would be fine, so we left. Betty Carter, 9.39 a.m. 
When I entered the house, I could see the realtor sitting in a chair at the dining room table. It was a very long, rustic wooden table that was quite beautiful, so I commented on it. The realtor turned her head slowly in my direction, just now realizing I was there. She was pale and appeared ill. Before I could say anything, she just said, Look around all you want. I'll be here if you need me. I love open houses, so I always take my time. As I meandered through the second floor, I could hear the realtor talking downstairs. I hadn't heard the front door open, so I assumed that there had already been other people in the house when I arrived that I hadn't seen. When I went back downstairs, I saw the realtor in the hallway. She was leaning against the wall as though she were exhausted. She was staring forward and speaking as though someone else was there with her, but she was alone. I approached her and put my hand on her shoulder. It startled her. She whipped her head around in my direction. She was staring daggers at me. Are you okay? I asked. Do I look okay? She was pale and sweaty. Her eyelids appeared heavy. I answered her with honesty. Quite frankly, no, you don't. She stared at me for a moment and seemed confused. I decided to just move along and look at the rest of the house and headed for the basement. As I reached out to turn the knob on the basement door, the realtor snapped at me. No, do not go into the basement. I was confused. Why not? She stared up at the ceiling for several seconds and then lowered her head and fixed her gaze upon me. She pointed to the front door. I think you should leave now. I did just that. The most uneasy I felt that entire time was when I had to pass right by her in the hall in order to get to the front door. I could hear the wheezing congestion of her lungs with every breath she took. As I reached her side, I could hear her whisper, Hurry up. I ran out of the house. Byron Henderson, 1014 AM. When I entered the house, I could hear soft cackling coming from upstairs. I just assumed it was other people looking at the house, so I didn't think much of it. I thoroughly checked out the first floor of the house, all the while I continued to hear that laughter from upstairs. I didn't hear anyone talking, just that strange cackle. I was starting to get an anxious feeling as I went upstairs. The cackle didn't seem jovial in nature. It sounded sadistic. I walked down the hallway toward the strange giggling. The hall ended at a closed door. The laughing was coming from beyond the door. I gently knocked. There was no response to my knock and the laughter continued. I opened the door. In the corner of the room, the realtor sat in a rocking chair. She was slowly rocking back and forth. Her hair was messy and frazzled. Her eyes were heavily bloodshot. She just sat there rocking back and forth staring out at nothing as she smiled and cackled. I got the hell out of there.
Mildred Woods and Robert Mailer, 10.57 a.m. My boyfriend and I are into the macabre and just wanted to see the inside of this famous house we heard so much about. When we entered the house, we were met by the realtor. She looked strange. Her hair was a mess. She was deathly pale with deep, dark circles under her eyes. She held a blank expression as she spoke in a hoarse voice. Welcome to the house. Let me show you around. She proceeded to take us on a tour of the entire house, and things got kind of weird. As we passed by the front room of the house, she pointed to it and said, In 1901, Ebenezer Spain buried a hatchet into his wife's head in this room as she drank her morning tea. We then followed her as she started upstairs. Caroline Moss fell down these stairs in 1909. She broke her neck. We then reached the second floor and started down the hallway. She continued with the morbid history of the house. In 1914, Jack Cooper committed adultery in this hallway. She stepped into the bedroom. This is the bedroom where his wife shot him to death. We were creeped out yet captivated as we followed her into the next bedroom. In this room, a young man named Samson died of pneumonia. His mother joined him seconds after he took his last breath by slitting both of her wrists at his bedside. She then led us to the attic door. Ah, yes, the attic. We followed her up a thin flight of steps to a small room. Zelda Cortland poisoned her twin daughters in this room and then burned herself alive in the bathtub. She led us back downstairs and seemed excited as she directed us into the kitchen. The kitchen is marvelous. If you listen closely, you can hear the voices from the past. Can you hear them? I can. She appeared to drift off for several seconds before she noticed the kitchen window, which seemed to get her back on track. Through this back window, you can see the courtyard. In 1939, right over there near the fence, Bernard Crosby buried his seven-year-old daughter alive. He then came into this kitchen, stood where I am standing now, placed both barrels of a shotgun in his mouth, and pulled the trigger. She then seemed strangely giddy as she told us to follow her into the basement. Even though both of us enjoy dark tales and were fascinated by the sinister history she was rattling off, this was all incredibly unusual and spooky. Still, we'd gotten this far, so we thought we'd continue on and see what the basement looked like. When we got there, she stopped in the center of the basement and pointed up to the rafters. This home's original owner hung himself from that rafter in 1899. It's the same rafter that the last person to ever live here hung himself from in 1949. She looked at us and smiled. It wasn't a pleasant smile, though. It was menacing. She held that disturbing smile as she picked up an axe and stared at us. That's when I noticed her eyes were solid black. 
If you don't leave now, I'll cut off your heads. I don't know why I thought she was kidding at first, but then I realized how serious she was. We turned and ran up the basement stairs and out of that house. Sarah McDougall, 11.27 a.m. I was supposed to meet my husband at the house, but he was held up in a meeting at work, so I went in alone. When I entered the house, I was struck by the silence. At the very least, I expected a realtor to be there. I did find a stack of one sheets that provided some basic information about the house. They were sitting on a table near the entrance, so I figured the realtor was in the bathroom, or maybe they went out to grab a bite to eat. I decided to stroll through the house. It was perfect, exactly what my husband and I were hoping for. We were looking for a historic house that incorporated modern technology while still salvaging a vintage atmosphere. Our plan was to turn it into a multi-room bed and breakfast. Yes, I was fully well aware of the dark history surrounding the house, but I'm not superstitious. Quite frankly, I felt the legend of the house would help with bookings. I ventured upstairs first. It was quite lovely and had several rooms, which was what I wanted. Downstairs, I was stunned by the beauty of the kitchen and the dining room. I really couldn't have asked for more. I was ready to place a bid on the house right then, but first wanted to take a look at the basement. I opened the basement door and was mystified by how the basement steps seemed to disappear into darkness. I mean, I've seen some dark basements before, but this was ridiculous. As I started down the stairs, I was met by the subtle stench of decay. I assumed a dead mouse. As I descended the steps further, I noticed that the air felt heavy and humid. Odd for a basement. As I reached the bottom of the steps, I could hear a gentle creaking sound coming from the corner. That's when I saw her. Later, I found out it was the realtor. She had hung herself from one of the rafters. There was a noose tied tightly around her throat. Her head was tilted at an odd angle. It was obvious her neck was severely broken. Her complexion appeared pasty and white, with dark blue, web-like veins bulging in her face. The creepiest thing was her eyes. Wide open, but lifeless. And solid black. As she swayed back and forth from the rafter, it appeared as though she was staring directly at me. We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Be sure to visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com Sign up for the free newsletter and receive a free book and movie. We'll see you soon. Very soon.